You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets. Today we're speaking with a seasoned credit manager in the Toronto area and a very experienced investment advisor located in Montreal. Both are proud proponents of the private lending area and alternatives in general and how they can be a stabilizer as well as an area of growth for client portfolios, be it retail, high net worth or institutional. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is Monday, May 4th, and I'm James Brown with CASA. This is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Francis Sabern with Richardson GMP and Carl Burnham with YTMS Management. Uh, we'll start with self-introductions. Uh, start with you, Francis. Hi, my name is Francis Sabern from Richardson GMP here in Montreal. I'm a portfolio manager for the last 12 years, uh, and we manage uh, five portfolios, uh, current income, balance portfolio, dynamic growth, uh, long-term growth, and uh, global equity portfolio in uh, U.S. dollars. So that's what we do. Mostly stocks, bonds, ETFs, some OM products, alternatives, or liquid alts. That's our bread and butter. Wow. So, uh, so a bit of everything. That's, that's awesome. Um, how do you say, so how do you discern between balanced growth and, and the long-term growth? There's a different type of, what kind of portfolio weighting do you use there? Yeah, uh, actually it's my balanced portfolio. It's more kind of typical 40, 50, 40% fixed income and 60%, uh, uh, equity and the, the long-term growth it's more like a 25 percent fixed income 75 percent uh, equity where my dynamic growth is 10 90 10 percent fixed income but i still have a leeway with uh, minimum weightings and uh, and strategic allocation within these asset these two classic asset class great and what sort of uh, cash weightings do you usually have well, usually it's between two and three percent. Mm. Actually, it has been up to ten percent as of late February and to until mid March when we start to deploy a few there you go. new ideas that we had. And do you keep an eye on the, I guess the underlying cash weightings, uh, cash cash allocations, and other weightings of the funds, or how, how do you how do you manage that from a portfolio level? Yeah, obviously cash. It's uh, it's an asset class by itself. I mean. We, we use cash as uh, when we, do, we don't find any great opportunities, we will go into cash. And we like to have some uncorrelated assets and non-correlated assets to our, into our portfolios. Mm-hmm. So for us, cash, it's, uh, it's should be, we should be 100% invested all the time. But, uh, I mean, we, we need always need a little bit of cash. Uh, for uh, for the fees that comes through the fund, the portfolio. It's a it's a portfolio. It's not a fund. Ah. That I want to make sure that we understand that we. It's more an SMA platform that we manage. This our discretionary portfolio manage account that we have is for specific clients. Everyone has their own portfolio. It's a aggregate account, if you want. So that's why having cash, we have to have cash in all the accounts, and it's it's uh, invested. Uh, it's systematic, so it's a hard model. So when we buy for someone for this particular model, we buy for everyone for the same weighting. So we need to have cash and all the accounts to 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 fulfill the order. And I guess one more question on on your portfolio side is: um, 
liquidity. So you have so like stocks, bonds, liquid alts, and then the uh, offering memorandum products, which uh, which have varying liquidity. So stocks are second by second. Bonds, you call up the desk. You know, like liquid alts are mutual funds, so they're daily at whatever four, four thirty, whenever they trade. And then um, the OM stuff, though, is is going to be every month or so. How do you how do you manage the liquidity for your clients and, and choose investments? Well, yeah, obviously, when we we had, I mean, obviously, we had uh, OM products through the years for uh, diversification point of view, and uh, we we know that I mean, liquid halves didn't exist four or five years ago when we started buying some mm-hmm. OM products, so we know that some are monthly liquidity, some are quarterly. And that's the max. That's the maximum we will go for quarterly liquidity. We won't go through uh, some like some OM products or once a year liquidity. So we don't we don't mm-hmm. buy these OM products in discretionary account. We could buy on non discretionary accounts for some specific clients that I want to have this product. Even if there's no liquidity or or annual liquidity. I don't mind, but clients needs to sign the forms. Mm-hmm. It needs to be accredited investors and so on. We won't put in our regular models for sure, but we we have to deal with that monthly or quarterly or some more weekly liquidity also. So it, it's a little issue, but it brings a lot of value to the clients. When you, you explain that to the client, say, hey, this there's a specific objective with this product. That's great. Thank you. And Carl, I mean, you've got both sides here. You have offering memorandum products and Liquid alts uh, have come out. Um, what uh, what have you been doing the last few years in the markets, and what, how do you what do you trade in your history in that? Uh, well, thanks for hosting this today. I'll start off with that. Just brief background. Uh, my name is Carl Burnham. I'm a partner and credit portfolio manager at YTM Capital. We're a debt focused asset manager that was founded ten years ago by uh, my co portfolio manager Daniel Child. We both manage uh, the firm's credit funds together. And we both coincidentally spent most of our careers trading corporate bonds starting over 25 years ago where we met uh, at one of the banks. Before YTM, Daniel was head of corporate and ABS MBS trading at Scotiabank. And before I joined YTM, I was head of investment grade trading globally at CIBC. So to answer your question, what we've been doing, we basically, we've been bond traders, uh, corporate bond traders for most of our careers. And what we've been doing lately in the last few years is we started an OM fund almost five years ago and a liquid alt credit fund almost a year ago. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's got quite, quite, the, uh, quite the history on the desk there. Um, so how does what you were doing, and I, could I assume that you're doing prop trading, or proprietary trading at the banks uh, with, with their book, with their money, uh, how does that translate to uh, like a portfolio where where retail and other and, and or or high net worth investors are, are putting their money together um well our roles now as portfolio managers we're involved in the exact same markets that mm. we used to trade um previously when we were market makers and putting the bank's capital to work in risk uh trading mm-hmm. um so instead of being liquidity providers where we were before now we're on the other side of that as clients and, and looking for liquidity from the dealers um, as a product, uh, it's, it's difficult if you're um, the end investor, mm-hmm. unless you have vast amounts of uh, capital to deploy to be involved in the fixed income market, uh, buying bonds directly. It's, um, I guess the market structure is skewed a little bit against you. Yeah, if, you yeah. if you're an investment advisor, then you're stuck dealing with only one liquidity provider, one dealer. 
and the markups that they uh, they add on to that. You can't get access to new issues, um, and you're dependent on that particular dealer's secondary liquidity. Right? They may not be the best bid or best offer in the market. Right. Yeah, I was a broker at DS or an advisor back in '95, that the late '90s, and it was uh, heady times. But uh, back then, DS is the biggest biggest inventory on the street and right. told everybody about it every time they could. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we could find, yeah, you want a Saskatchewan bond for whatever week? Sure. We got that. Um, so, but, but that's changed the last while, I guess since, since the crisis, the whole market structure's changed. Is there still bond trading and inventory at, at the, at the, uh, broker dealers or is it mostly in the hands of pension plans, insurance companies, and, and folks like you in the, in the funds? Well, if you think about it, right, the, the trading, um, as much as there's always a buyer and a seller in the market, I mean, the I would say the North American dealers, particularly the U.S., um, mm-hmm. aren't committing the same amount of capital uh, to the market that they used to. But the market's grown quite a bit as well, and with the client consolidation, the clients are just getting bigger and bigger. So the clients are kind of running the market more than they used to in the past, which was really led mm. by the dealers. Um, so structurally it is, it's changed quite a bit and, you know, mm-hmm. the liquidity has gone down relatively speaking, particularly when you have, uh, like the, the crunch that we just went through in the last month and change, uh, it essentially evaporated in the worst days. Couldn't get a bid on anything other than, uh, <laughs> if they were willing to agency it through, uh, to another client. Right. How about your, uh, your strategies? Is there any, uh, because you hear these things like scalping, and there's there's new issue business, and, and could you go through maybe some of the some of the major strategies that you run uh, throughout the throughout the year? Um, well, we really have three uh, primary strategies. Uh, one is we have call it a carry or a short term maturity focus, and that's where um, we like to put a lot of our uh, capital deployed in front dated short maturity bonds, one to two years, uh, simply because the break even. Uh, from potential uh, carnage, spread widening, yields increasing, pricing going down. Break-evens are very favorable in the front end. They don't tend to be as volatile, anywhere near as volatile from a price perspective. So uh, mm-hmm. we tend to yeah. put a lot of emphasis on that. As well from uh, the second strategy would be new issues. Unlike the equity markets, new issues are quite frequent. It works out to about one every uh, business day in Canada. So there's a lot of opportunities to sort of hit singles and doubles because they tend to appreciate price wow. the break. And uh, we feel that's one of our advantages um, from having worked in the dealer environment because the head corporate trader is the one or the trader of that sector is the one who's principally has the most say in the price of the bond when accountants because they have the most risk in the room attached to that deal because they're going to provide a market on the break. Mm-hmm. They're also going to be buying a lot of other uh, corporate bonds and trade against that. So it's just a lot of trial and error, having spent years doing that, uh, both myself and Daniel, that uh, yeah. we, we like to focus on that as well. And the third strategy is really just a catch-all uh, relative value, ARB, if you will, when um, securities uh, get mispriced, the relationships between each other, it could be the relationship between where uh, one bond from a company trades in the Canadian market compared to where it swaps into uh, U.S. levels and what the equivalent yield is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's opportunities there or it's a uh, senior versus subordinated capital structure trades. In the end of the day, unlike equities, 
two things are going to happen when you buy a bond. Either it's going to mature or it's not. A mean reversion sort of mindset in that market. So we look for a lot of opportunities when they get into sort of the three standard deviation move from that uh, relationship. Wow, that's wild. I get back to Francis there. Like, um, I guess you speak with many, many managers in uh, in liquid alts and and uh, the OM side, and and you, there's there's many so you have carry new issues and kind of the, the catch all RV and and, and ARB. Um, how do you look at uh, at managers and kind of figure out what strategy they're they're putting on, uh, whether that makes sense for your clients? And then other types of, of due diligence that you might do, like kind of you know, maybe walk through that that process. Yeah, of course. On the fixed income side, we have to think outside the box. I mean, with the interest rate so low, and if you want to have, like you talked earlier about my balance portfolio, and if we look for the past ten years, the balance portfolio generated me between eight percent of. Uh, annual return for the last 10 years as of December 2019. <laughs> but for the next years, for the next coming years, the next uh, 10 years, maybe we could expect maybe <laughs> 4 to 5% for a balanced portfolio Oof, or maybe less. Yeah. So the fixed income needs to be replaced by fixed income, but maybe not traditional fixed income, maybe private debt funds, long short credit like Call is managing. Uh, pref shares for those who, are, who have been lucky to buy some in, in March, like we did. We sold some of pref share last summer, and we got back right in the middle of crisis. But it needs to be more active on a on a fixed income side. Every time I talk to, I mean, mm-hmm. the fixed income for me is it's the part most of the most of the fixed income in my portfolio, except the pref shares are are outsources with other managers because, as Carl mentioned, I mean, on the retail side, on the high net worth side. I mean, the inventory that you have access, you deal with, like, uh, work with, with Justin Jempi, uh, it will be shopping around for us. But on the retail side, it doesn't work that well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, mm-hmm. because you never know what to get your bid, your ask. And uh, and that's why I prefer to be, like, to be completely outsourced, most of it. But on, but obviously, when we do make our due diligence on, uh, on some fixed income managers or alternative fixed income managers, we always drill down to, I mean, what's, there are three types of risk that I, I'm really concerned. Mm-hmm. One is the risk of too much money coming into a fund. And the second risk, the risk of too much money uh, exiting the fund. But we'll say maybe it's 5 to 10% wow. of, the, of the, the total evaluation of risk, but the 80 to 90% of the of the risk evaluation is, is the manager doing what he's supposed to do. And that's what we, is a stock riff like we saw in March. I mean, March was like, I mean, it was the, the month to see who, who was doing right and mm. who's doing wrong. And was, was uh, so for us, fixed income on the bond side, I mean, uh, it's very tricky. And maybe it's, it's the part that is the most risky right now because interest rates are so low. It's, for example, interest rates go, start to go up a little bit and the long-term bonds would get killed and all the bond market will, I mean, uh, unless you go corporate, which where I think are the mm-hmm. big opportunities are right now. But uh, no, we we tend to put a lot in especially in March. We went one by one, all our holdings, all of our portfolio managers that we use on the products offer we add and uh, and those that we don't buy yet and uh, we're still on a watch list and uh, that was uh, that's 
it looks simple fixing combat it's way yeah. nice it's not simple yeah like uh, like carl said like the, the basics are simple it's going to either mature or not and you're going to get so much yield off of it from the coupon and from the premium discount to to the price but at the end of the day it takes a bit of a takes a bit of an art um so how, how do you do that like or say maybe you mentioned style drift and and is there any instances where you saw a manager was uh was drifting or was kind of like just kind of messing around a bit and then when the crisis came like you could you could figure that out i don't know if that's in the bond funds or 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 in the equity side yeah, but obviously in March, everything was broken. I mean, yeah. even if ETFs, everything, there was no liquidity. So, but when you talk to all these managers are very conservative and they are, and you see that the active management brings value mm. because you saw with the ETFs, any ETFs on the fixed income, it got killed in March. And gladly that the, the Federal Reserve and Bank of Canada stepped in in the market to buy some bonds <laughs> to help the, the credit market to because it was pretty nasty uh obviously style drift it's it's what we see is we are we always ask how conservative you are or how aggressive you are and it's a tough question to answer you say why well, you are very we're very conservative but but we see what sometimes with the effect of the leverage how it can be destroying value uh, for some some managers and some others that were a bit too high yield or too exposed to energy mm -hmm. sector. But I mean, it was a sudden storm that happened to us in, in the market. And uh, for us, our fixed income needs to be outside the box, but conservative at the same time on the mean. So we have been, for those we, we work with, we have been happily surprised that were positive, most of them, all of them, except, yeah, no, all my fixing income was positive in March. Nice. And including my pressures at the bottom, bottom, bottom uh, two days before the bottom. But, uh, but uh, no, it's it's a lot of time. But sometimes you, I mean, even the manager, the even call for sure call was maybe some trades were disappointing for him. And but uh, we were, we have been caught by surprise, most of us. Yeah, back when. When I was a boy, we just laddered our bonds. We'd buy a one, three, and five and just roll them out where there was a bond or GIC. So there's obviously a lot more we're going on in thick, um, like uh, areas that, say, Carl has there. Um, and there were managers back then, but it just seemed like they were out of reach of most people. And you, didn't, you definitely didn't have any inkling of liquid alts or even the OM stuff uh, was was way out there for most, most advisors. Uh, are you seeing, Francis, a lot of... Um, are are are, are, a lot, are many advisors like you? Are they looking at these offering memorandum, mem, memorandum products, or are they just sticking with like a bond fund and just hoping that things things get better or things don't get worse? Well, obviously, if you the clients come to see us for and you know, they pay us, I mean, for, to find ideas, I mean, to bring something different to the table, to achieve their investment objective, uh, to plan for their retirement. So you need that. As you have a I mean, you have fiduciary trust in, mm -hmm. in, in place to make sure that you reach that goals and to do your best to reach that particular objective of the client. And obviously on the OM side, I mean, it depends which firm. Some firms are more open than others to allow their advisors to buy these products. And But obviously you, you really need to think outside the box. I mean, a lot of people got burned with the pressures and uh, in the past three, four, five mm. years. 
So, I mean, if you buy for yields, I mean, that's a decent yield. And if you have the capital gain on it, good for you if you buy when it's right time. But, I mean, we need to have fixed income. It's, it won't get away. So you could use strategies like college managing a long, short credit will bring values at the right time and uh, for the right clients. And, uh, but you have no choice if you want to reach, if you are, otherwise your expected return for the next 10 years will be three, four percent for a balanced portfolio, unless you increase your equity to eighty mm-hmm. percent of your portfolio. But it's no more a balanced portfolio. It's a growth yeah. Portfolio. Now you get tons of risk in there for the ball. So, yeah. How about how about on your side, Carl? Um, uh, Francis brought up a, a few areas that that I guess got into hot water lately. Of course, energy with I guess oil going to negative numbers. And that little anomaly with the May futures, um, high yield prefs. Uh, uh, are you guys in those waters too, or have you been in them lately? And then what about your, maybe your exposures the last little while, use of leverage and how much you might be shorting is how, how is that? I imagine it's dynamic uh, change over say the last uh, six months and especially in to like the, I think it was like March 23rd in the equity markets. I'm not sure what the kind of the, uh, the kill date was in uh, in the bond markets. Well, we were defensive uh, going into uh, the virus uh, spreads were fairly tight to begin with. So we're mm-hmm. kind of looking for a reason to sell. Um, and it, the coronavirus, as it was called then, uh, was just kind of percolating in the background. Um, and then once it really started to gain steam, we were getting a little more aggressive about what sort of risk we were reducing. Um, we hadn't, uh, high yield is, uh, we do that on an exception basis. So we didn't really get caught up in that. Uh, didn't have any uh, direct energy exposure. In fact, it's kind of hard to get that in Canada. There's only so many companies that have investment grade debt uh, in Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we are an investment grade focused fund. Uh, as I say, high yields only on an exception basis. And that's where you can get more of the, uh, the energy mm-hmm. sector exposure. Perhaps we didn't have any of those either. We've been out of that market for a while. I think it's uh, kind of broken, frankly. So it's been a Canadian investment grade uh, run through that crunch. We took our risk down uh, pretty hard. Um, it's uh, certainly it's been its lowest level in March uh, by uh, a fair margin compared to any other time during the last five years. And then we've been adding it back in um, towards the end of March, uh, April, really. Um, a lot more defensive risk that we are we have added back to the portfolio. We don't think uh, this is a moonshot that we're uh, out of the woods yet. So we are uh, mm-hmm. still a bit on the cautious side, despite the uh, the lift we've had. Cool. And um, another point that, that Francis had was the, the Bank of Canada and how they reacted to it. Like, Carl, Carl what, what did you see in the markets from them? Uh, I don't even quite sure which measures they put in. I remember watching TARP every day, all the new TARPs yeah. that came out in 08, 09. And so what, what did the Bank of Canada do and, and how did that affect the markets? Well, and actually not not as much as you would think because the Fed did the heavy lifting for them earlier in March. When they announced that, I mean, that was something that was unprecedented. We didn't see that in 08, 09. Um, I mean, it's really been quite impressive, the amount of stimulus and measures that the governments are taking to counteract the effects of this, at least from the mm-hmm. economic climate. Um, so when the Fed announced that, that, that was massive uh, a positive shock to markets in the U.S. And, 
And as a result, uh, the U.S., which would, was cheaper than Canada at that point, rallied significantly and started dragging Canada spreads tighter, uh, corporate bond prices higher. And mm -hmm. so there was a lot of um, expectation that the Bank of Canada was going to follow suit with their own facility in short order in, in a matter of you know a few days mm -hmm. and then when that yeah. didn't happen and then the rally in uh you know the the better names the banks uh single a's and whatnot when that really sort of bounced significantly off the lows and it had been weeks since the fed announced um the facility to buy corporate bonds and corporate bond etfs the bank still hadn't made notice we just figured that well, the Fed's done uh, the heavy lifting for them. Why bother? They have the facility in place. They they can, well, the the measures to do it. They haven't announced anything. We figured that they were going to wait for if there was a second leg down, then they would pull that one out. Why do it now when the Fed's kind of done the work for you? New issues are getting done. Markets are mm -hmm. much more orderly. You know, uh, corporate yields have uh, reduced significantly. The spreads. So a lot of the healing process has already happened. Why bother announcing that unless you need to, if there's a second wave? So we were quite surprised from the timing that it was weeks and weeks after the Fed announced theirs that the bank came up with theirs. And we're, we're hoping uh, the week of, um, I guess, well, if we say the dates today, May 4th, uh, hopefully in a few days, we are gonna get more details from the Bank of Canada on what, uh, it, what exactly is involved in their corporate buyback because we're still uh, devils in the details and we still need some more on that. How about you, Francis? Um, like our latest listing had about 7.2, 7.3 billion in, in liquid alls and there's 28 or so, maybe 30 in, in the offering memorandum uh, products, another 120 in the more like real estate, more illiquid areas. But um, I guess they've held up relatively well uh, because most of your, equity funds would have like the long only stuff would have moved with the market. So what, where do you think the, the opportunities are for, for alternatives or just generally in the market? Now with the interest rates are low as they are, you need to think a little bit outside the box and mm -hmm. maybe using some other products that are, or will bring income or interest to your portfolio, but in a different manner that we used to be like regular bonds or maybe like long-term credits or uh, private debt funds, real estate funds. But obviously, real estate, it's more growth-oriented. Mm. Some other products that are not traditional in sense that you won't be able to buy them at a discount broker or online. At uh, Right. So you, we need, really need to change our mind, he said. Because the, as I said, the targeted return that we could expect from a balanced portfolio would be quite low. And it's not just for retail advisor investors; it's for pension funds and uh, endowment funds, uh, foundations. Yeah, all these all the money machine. We need we need to diversify away our risks and compensate it. And some will say, "Well, why don't we only buy dividend stocks?" Well, yeah, but look in March what these. Uh, dividends uh, strategies that uh, they have done they have been quite hybrid also so you need to really get the, to evaluate new alternatives and the om products or the alternatives products or liquid halts i think they have a good runway i mean we used to have stocks and bonds and then we in the in the 80s 
90s, mutual funds comes over. In 2000, the ETF starts. And, and all during that time, all the UM products were there. But now it's, it's a new world. I mean, since there's so many new strategies that you can have access. And since, especially since 2008 and nine, with the, the regulation of the, I mean, all the banks that the, the prop trading uh, is no more available into the bank. So all the company like YTM that is they spun up and um, mm -hmm. became a nice product to buy for retail advisor, which was mostly uh, available for institutional uh, clients or um, the institution itself. So obviously there's new, new, new opportunities out there that you need to evaluate. And you see more like as the last month as March happened, we have to, to see the pro and cons and see what, how, how water tested it was and the implement these tools for, for all a portfolio, maybe not, but for some part of the portfolio, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to risk management and income management. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous, actually, I can say, because when I was a kid, they didn't have anything like uh, with YTM or these types of funds out there. You could just had to basically have duration. You're too bad. Um, yeah, but the interest rates were higher at that time. Yeah, also. so you were making money on that as things moved. But yeah. uh, how about to your side, Carl? Where are you guys seeing, um, and you might be on more of the, the micro level in your portfolio, but where, where do you see uh, opportunities um, and how are you guys able to... Uh, to capitalize on them. I think four weeks ago, I probably couldn't say those words together in a sentence because of as we had the virus going through, but, but I think people are looking at markets and trying to figure out where, where these dislocations are, have, we may continue to occur. Um, the, there's quite a few opportunities while, you know, credit spreads have rallied substantially in the last few weeks, you know, spreads are still wider than any period since 08, 09. So for us, uh, even buying those short-dated maturities uh, that are good defensive plays, you know, the yield's uh, a lot higher than normal. Uh, so certainly we've been uh, deploying capital in that area. Uh, new issues as of late can come with, uh, particularly when you go through um, a time of market distress, uh, you'll see the, the new issue uh, pricing concessions uh, be quite generous and that, that's come down a little bit mm. as of late with rally so there's opportunities there and when you go through um, you know these periods of volatility that you can get some uh, pricing anomalies between markets uh, you know where a given companies uh, debt trades in Canada versus where it trades in the US uh, so there can be some opportunities in reaching across uh, into the US market and as well just you know not quite as much now compared to what we went through with some of the passive investors needing to sell based on downgrades or index composition. You can be the liquidity provider for the forced selling. As I said before, right, the mm -hmm. dealers aren't providing as much liquidity as they used to in, in previous market cycles. So if you can step into that role and uh, get some cheap bonds sometimes. So, yeah, you said you're, you're, you are investment grade uh focus but i guess if if there is a fallen angel there and you figure hey it's still a good value would you would you pick that up and and take it from there even though it's not uh actually investment grade or, or are you thinking just within the investment grade uh tranches there? um no we we would look at that too certainly we buy uh, we've always said we're, we're an investment grade fund but we'll never rule out the opportunity to buy high yield we just do it Mm. on a you know very much a one-off or extremely selective basis we really want to buy the fallen angels that are positioning themselves to go back into investment grade because the amount of 
market right. movement from the passive investors, you know, the ETFs and the index crowd, basically, um, that can really move the market once they, they do get the investment grade rating that there can be a tremendous amount of buying and you can get a real lift in the bonds. So obviously you don't get that opportunity that often, but that's one of the reasons why we want the ability to own high yield as well. We don't want to paint ourselves in a corner and be a forced seller. Like sometimes it'll, you know, you can, exactly. you, you can be high yield, but it's going to mature, you know, a number of months and they certainly have the liquidity. There's no reason to sell it per se. Uh, other than lock in uh, a loss, which you're just going to get back uh, as as you hold that bond to maturity. So um, we don't take interest rate risk in our uh, in our OM fund, but we can certainly take uh, high yield risk. Oh, great! And then yeah, you got to keep your keep your eye out and all these these types of deals and spreads and convergences and that's that's wild. How about um, like so? An investor if an investor came to you. I know you're not. Uh, Carl, you're not advising uh, necessarily because uh, that's typically uh, like Francis's right. role. But there's, what would you say to them about the market and and what you're seeing, and um, maybe um, in a way that that say mom and pop investor might see it because it might be hard to understand like carries and, and new issues and stuff like that. But is there any sort of like macro themes that you would explain to them and what's happening within your fund of the markets? There's a real question mark about the economy from here and you know, will they uh, have jobs to go back to because A, the um, the employer is either bankrupt or they've downscaled the workforce waiting for the demand to pick up. There's a lot of questions, but that shock to the market uh, certainly showed itself in the yields and, and you know, price yields, an inverse relationship in fixed income. And certainly um, people wanted to be compensated for that risk. And there's a, a shock in yields. Uh, I would say, generally speaking, what is being priced in in fixed income as well as equities right now is uh, a very very high probability of a very sharp b recovery but there's no reason why we can't have more uh, bankruptcies and a, a drawn out economic scenario where you have a recovery that's not a sharp b it's some other um, letter that would be a prolonged drawn out affair to get back to uh, full recovery mode like an l or a u or a w we're, we're, we're um, generally speaking, um, taking a more measured approach to the risk that we're adding to the fund, certainly more of a conservative nature. And we're just um, a little bit cautious here. How about you, Francis? I mean, you have discretionary power over the portfolios, but uh, people obviously want to know what's happening. What's, uh, what's your advice to investors now? What? My advice is always uh, get back to our what's are your needs, financial needs. And we always look back to say, hey, what's your objectives? Where are you going? Where are we heading together? And 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 as we manage five portfolios, it's more about risk level. It's uh, the current income. It's more about what type of risk. But I always look back to them say, look on the long term. But with some would say, well, I'm 72 years old and I don't have 25 years ahead of me. Say, so, yeah, of course. But when it's a long term, doesn't mean maybe a year or 12 months, 24 months ahead of us. We'll get out of it and we have tools in, in, in the portfolio. We'll bring steady income, and but the value of the of this product is down, but the cash flow is still there and things will come back. Will they come back two months, three months, six months, or V-shape, W-shape, or L-shape? No clue, but our portfolios are built to, to last, so according to your need. Well, it's been great. Thank you. Uh, please, we, we put these together. We always try to get somebody that has a, like a broad kind of 
a client view like like Francis has, and then a, a very deep view into the fixed income markets like Carl's has. Uh, so I'm glad uh, to have you both of you on this on this podcast, and uh, we certainly look forward to having both of you on uh, another one sometime soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, James.